Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, a vote could come as early as today on a motion declaring a genocide against ethnic Muslim Uyghurs in China. We are, of course, extremely uh, concerned with the situation uh, around human rights in, uh, in Xinjiang. Uh, we have expressed many times our, our uh, apprehension uh, and our disagreement with what is going on. A look ahead to tomorrow's virtual meeting between Justin Trudeau and the U.S. president. The two leaders are aligned on climate change, for instance. That, that'll be one of the issues. There'll be lots of discussion around the pandemic response and how uh, Canada and the U.S. might work more closely together, I suspect, to some degree on the international front, because so far Joe Biden has Uh, stuck to the Donald Trump position that any vaccines produced in America are going to stay in America. And who knew what? And when did they know it? Regarding the allegations against Jonathan Vance. I have full confidence that the investigation will proceed fairly and in accordance with the law. And I'm confident that this process will make sure that if the evidence shows wrongdoing, we will hold those responsible accountable. It's Monday, February 22nd. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Peter Van Dusen, CPAC's executive producer and the host of Primetime Politics. Peter, thank you for being with us today. Hi, good morning, Mark. We're expecting that there will be a vote today on a motion that would declare China's treatment of the Uyghurs as a genocide. And uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how the votes line up on this. We know the opposition parties are going to vote in favor of the motion. We know that Justin Trudeau, the prime minister, has been reluctant to use the term genocide. Uh, and uh, there are some liberal MPs, though, who might be in in uh, debating how they're going to act on this motion. So what are you seeing? Yeah, even the, even the government hasn't um, stated categorically how it's going to vote on this motion or, or exactly uh, how it might react to the motion. Um, but but I think it's really important, Mark, to the extent that this will tell us a lot about you know where the government is on the relationship with China and where and where the country is. I mean, you, if you look at recent polling, uh, you look at what you know Canadians are saying. You look at at uh, prominent Canadians who are once in favor of the the nuanced approach to the relationship with China. You know, being careful to uh, to weigh human rights issues versus uh, trade and economic issues. Uh, there seems to be a shift taking place where, uh, you know, in a, if I can uh, put it in a phrase, you know, the, the country's starting to feel like it doesn't like to be pushed around by China anymore, or bullied by China anymore. So, you know, are we are we seeing a, a pivot in terms of public opinion on the relationship, and what does that mean for the, the government's position on, on China? It's the prime minister, as you've pointed out, you know, won't say uh, won't say that it's a genocide. He says more and more work needs to be done to determine that. But the Americans have said it's a genocide. Many of Canada's allies have said it's a genocide. Many uh, prominent liberals, uh, you know, former Justice Minister Wynne Cotler, have said uh, have, have framed it that way. So, um, as the opposition parties are are framing it as, you know, what's the Prime Minister waiting for? The evidence is there, uh, despite China's protestations that included a, you know, a, a proactive move by the Chinese ambassador to Canada this weekend, reaching out to media, basically telling uh, Canadian MPs uh, to butt out on the situation in China, that the treatment of the Uyghurs is not 
a genocide. So I think it's going to be really important to, to see how the government plays this. It's a non-binding motion, but it will tell us a lot if, uh, if, if, if for instance, the government were to come down on the on side with the motion, uh, that would signal a major shift in the approach to China. Mm. If some uh, backbench MPs break with the government and vote for the motion, that presents a problem for the government as well. So going to be lots of interest to see how this vote goes. All right, let's turn to what's happening tomorrow. This one-hour virtual chat between the U.S. President Joe Biden and Prime Minister Trudeau. Uh, under normal circumstances, of course, this might be a visit of some kind, but it's going to be uh, a Zoom meeting of sorts, uh, like so many other meetings in the past 12 months. Um, uh, what do you expect will be on the agenda and what will come from this discussion? Yeah, I think it's been pretty clear, uh, you know, the, the the countries are aligned. The two leaders are aligned on climate change, for instance. That, that'll be one of the issues. There'll be lots of discussion around uh, the pandemic response and how uh, Canada and the U.S. might work more closely together, I suspect, uh, to some degree on the international front, because so far Joe Biden has uh, stuck to the Donald Trump position that any vaccines produced in America are going to stay in America, despite uh, lots of uh, public appeals uh, from this country and some leaders in this country calling on Joe Biden to free up some Pfizer vaccine uh, from the plant in the United States, the plant in the United States, and send that to Canada. But uh, that hasn't been the case. Uh, there'll be discussion about that. But I mean, the big, the big issue on the table for the Canadian Prime Minister is is the U.S. Buy America policies that Joe Biden campaigned on and has promised to follow through on and whether Canada gets some form of exemption from those or, uh, at, at worst, gets a mild side-swiping from Buy America policies uh, rather than a full-on frontal blow. So, you know, they, the, I suppose the Keystone XL pipeline will come up, but that train has left the station. It's done. Uh, but I think the Prime Minister is going to be pushing for some sort of uh, commitment from Joe Biden, and it may be early to get that, but some sort of commitment that, uh, by America policies won't uh, won't punish Canada. That our economies are too closely entwined to have that happen. Uh, Canada is too good of an ally, and so he's going to appeal to. And Joe Biden knows all this, uh, but Joe Biden campaigned on uh, protecting U.S. jobs with Buy America policies. So I think we'll have a pretty good idea after that conversation. Uh, how he plans to uh, treat Canada when it comes to those protectionist policies. Mm. You mentioned vaccines. Um, we're expecting a lot of them to arrive in Canada this week. And is the focus going to shift from procurement to deployment uh, in terms of whether the provinces can handle this volume and get them into the arms of Canadians quickly? Yeah, that's a fair way to present it, I think. And nobody could be happier than the federal government if the focus shifts from uh, procurement to deployment. And, you know, I think the next couple of weeks will really be the test for Canadians watching. And, you know, as recently as this weekend, I'm still having conversations uh, with people you run into, uh, still wondering about the timeline for vaccines. They're watching uh, you know, the vaccination process roll out much more quickly uh, now in the United States and wondering why Canada is lagging. Well, the Canadian vaccine program, if these shipments come in as expected, uh, is really going to be starting to ramp up. And now the focus will be on, okay, can provinces get the shots into people's arms? And the federal government and the provinces are both expressing what I'd call extreme confidence that they're going to be able to do that. And we'll know in the next two weeks because this will, uh, this will, uh, be a pretty good indicator of 
how we're going to be able to uh, deal with a uh, with these timelines the prime minister set of vaccinating vaccinating you know 23 million Canadians by the end of June and then the entire population at least a single dose by the end of September uh, we're going to know whether that even seems possible in the next couple of weeks as these uh, large quantities of vaccine enter the country and then get uh, sent out into the provinces if there are uh, delays and problems in being able to administer those vaccines at speed, Mark. Uh, uh, I think there'll be a very angry public asking for questions about why that is and looking for uh, solutions from their governments to make sure mm-hmm. uh, they get it fixed. But uh, both sides, the feds and the provinces, they're, uh, they're claiming they're ready to go, ready to roll it out quickly, got the people in place, uh, the places to administer the vaccine. So now it's a, a wait and see in the next couple of weeks, I think, to see if Canada really is ready. All right. Still looking forward, uh, we're learning that the Prime Minister will unveil a new selection process to determine the next Governor General of Canada. What are you hearing about that? Well, I'm hearing that it'll, that it'll be, uh, you know, at, that it's it's been thrown together pretty quickly, and they need to do it pretty quickly because no one's comfortable, uh, especially in, in a possible election season with the Chief Justice of Canada acting as the uh, acting in the role of uh, uh, of the Governor General in the absence of an appointee. So, you know, I think the thing to watch for is how how arm's length this gets from the Prime Minister. I don't think they can afford a repeat of the last uh, approval process and the, and the mess that we saw with uh, with Julie Payette. So whatever they come up with, will there be a role for opposition parties? That's what they've demanded. Will uh, the Prime Minister go that far? But at the very least, he probably has to have a vetting process and an appointment process that completely removes him from the mix. No more hand-picked choices by the Prime Minister. Uh, he can't afford another, uh, I, I think, shot to his credibility uh, like the one he's taken uh, over Julie Payette. All right. And finally, as we wrap up, Peter, uh, let's talk about uh, where things stand with the allegations against the former chief of the defense staff, Jonathan Vance. On the weekend, there was an interview with one of the people accusing Vance of inappropriate behavior. And uh, I think this raises questions, obviously, not just about Vance, but about the process of choosing him and about who knew what and when in the political ranks. Yeah, I think this has the feel of it of one of those stories uh Mark, and it's it's kind of two tracks. So you've you've got reporters working on the story and uh, digging up uh, new information and talking to uh, to new people, and you've got a parliamentary committee. The defense committee has launched its own investigation into this. So you've got what feels like you know the drip drip of one of those political stories. And you know every time there's a drip, uh, the crater that the the drip is dropping into gets a little deeper, and it's starting to feel like there's more to this story. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm waiting to see exactly how much more. At the end of the day, the question is going to be, uh, how high up did this information about Jonathan Vance go? How many people knew about it? What was the prime minister told? What were the people around him told? What did they know? Uh, all with, I think, a, you know, one one really sort of, you know, um, key question at the end of it all. Was there enough told to Justin Trudeau or to the people around him uh, to have moved to remove Jonathan Vance from that job? Justin Trudeau didn't put him in the job, but at any point along the way, uh, a prime minister can take action to remove someone from the job if there's evidence that they're unfit for the job. And so that's, I think, you know, where to watch this story move next is how far up 
uh, how far up the, if I can put it this way, how far up the chain of you know command, or right up uh, the political chain of command, does it go, uh, uh, and and who does it touch at the end of the day? And you can bet after uh, this interview on the weekend uh, that the defense committee is likely to uh, be even more interested in, in calling more witnesses to see uh, how far this story goes. All right. Shaping up to be a very eventful week in Canadian politics. Peter, thank you so much for joining us today. Always a pleasure, Mark. Take care. That's CPAC's Peter Van Dusen. I'd like to thank the Senate for their their very uh, thorough and thoughtful work uh, on the made bill. Um, We have received uh, their amendments, uh, and we are still in the stage where we are evaluating uh, those amendments. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Toronto Star, Chantelle Bear argues the medically assisted death law has Justin Trudeau on a collision course with the Senate. Hebert writes, If the latest episode in the federal debate over medical assistance in dying has demonstrated anything, it is that this is a clock that will not be turned back. Over the four and a half years of the regime's existence, a strong parliamentary consensus in favor of a less restrictive approach to medical assistance in dying has materialized. At some point, a majority of senators will likely have to decide whether to defer to their elected colleagues or to pursue a battle of wills with MPs. In an editorial, the Toronto Sun argues, Canadians need to demand better from public health officials. The Sun writes, We appreciate these officials' expertise in their field and the considerable efforts they've been putting into their jobs. However, we share Canadians' frustrations with some of the messaging and attitudes that have come out in recent months. The problem is public health officials are not evolving their response in the same way other elements of the medical profession have been doing. We need more honesty about what's really going on and what should really be done to protect high-risk persons while safely reopening society. In the Globe and Mail, Brad Bedelt argues, now is the time to embrace a four-day work week. He writes, A number of companies faced with financial challenges have imposed shorter work weeks coupled with pay cuts as a way to avoid layoffs. Others have compressed their 40-hour work weeks from five days to four to give staff more flexibility for childcare and homeschooling duties. But with the end of the crisis hopefully in sight, we should be looking at the four-day week not as a temporary fix, but as a permanent shift in the way we work. We might be pleasantly surprised by the results. Now here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. A Liberal Member of Parliament will reportedly ask a Commons committee today to pass a motion of censure against the head of the country's largest gun owners organization. CPAC's Martin Stringer has more. Mark, Liberal MP Pam Damoff today intends to ask the Commons Public Safety and National Security Committee to censure the National Firearms Association because of comments from its president, Sheldon Clare, who in a podcast last week quoted an unnamed member of the association as saying, quote, we need to revisit our woodworking and metalworking skills and construct guillotines again. And that would really be the best kind of committee of public safety. Now, Damoff will argue that those comments constitute threatening language and a possible incitement to violence. This all comes at a time when some Canadian politicians are pointing to the violent rhetoric and ensuing political violence south of the border, as well as to recent incidents including threats against both Prime Minister Trudeau and NDP leader Jagmeet Singh. 
It also comes as the National Rifle Association prepares a series of public custom attack ads against Liberal MPs uh, that it's angry with because of the new gun control bill and current gun control measures. The president of the NFA, Sheldon Clare, says that the comments in no way constitute an incitement to violence. They are just reflections of frustration of his members over government policies. So Mark, it will be up to the members of the Public Safety Committee to decide how they deal with MP Damoff's motion if she goes ahead with it. The Sergeant-at-Arms, who is responsible for the safety of members of Parliament in the parliamentary precinct, has also been made aware of the comments in question. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will be in private meetings before chairing the Cabinet meeting. Infrastructure Minister Catherine McKenna will take part in a virtual announcement about COVID-19 response infrastructure. And Veterans Affairs Minister Lawrence McCauley will participate in a virtual event with veterans. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Monday, February 22nd. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.